Randell, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great to be here today. I, I need to know, what's the role of a poet laureate? You're Ontario's first. So it's it's interesting. I think being the first has, um, has a certain responsibility because you're building out the role. You're developing the framework. You're, I'm hoping to create a legacy that can help the next poet laureate essentially, but it's pretty simple. Um, in terms of the role itself, it's, it's a nonpartisan role, an independent officer of the assembly, which means, you know, just have my own office that I, that I work out of and aren't, and I'm not connected to any MPs or nothing like that at Queens Park. Uh, and in addition to that, like I'm just really advocating for arts and poetry, arts and poetry across the province. And my goal is to increase literacy within youth and young people that we work with. And in addition to that, I'm just hoping to encourage more young people to use poetry and art as a way to express themselves in a positive way. Well, that's interesting. Now, did you have, did you do research to, to understand what other poet laureates around Canada or North America do? Do you get to set your own agenda even, like you talked about literacy? Uh, I do get to set my own agenda, which is really great. It's really helpful. Uh, no one's telling me what to do. I check in, you know, bi-weekly, I check in with them. And now that things are starting to opening up, open up again, I'm going to start working at Queens Park more often and just seeing which, you know, which ministers, which MPs I might be able to connect with or MPPs, I should say, I might be able to connect with. And uh, I think, you know, it's... It's interesting though, because uh, given the goals that I have, I'm just thinking about who I am as a person and what I've done and how poetry has really helped inform me. So it's interesting to be able to be in this position. And that's kind of where my goals come from because I really wanna see how I can support the younger generation. Um, I first got into poetry really from a teacher, a mentor, and I'm looking to do the same thing for other young people as well. Sorry, tell me about that. You you got into poetry because of a mentor of yours? Uh, well, she was a teacher at first. Teacher, okay, uh, my, grade, okay. my, my grade eight teacher that became a mentor later on. Uh, but grade eight teacher who just saw something in me, man. Like I can't even explain. She just like saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at 13 years old. And that's why I'm really keen on doing the same because it, it only takes one person sometimes, one person to see your potential, one person to see your light. And to be able to say, you know, let me let me help, let me support. How how can I do so? So that that teacher to this day, we're still connected. We text each other every now and then. Uh, she's really cool, really cool. That's really great. Was it was it um, was it directly with poetry that she saw? Like, was it some writing, or she just sort of had this belief that, you know, here's this kid, and just maybe based on some of your work at school, I'm really curious. To, if you have figured out, you know, what it was that she saw in you. I want to say it was the way I spoke. Okay. You know, she would ask me a lot of questions and I was one of those kids who got into a lot of trouble. And the only reason why I even ended up at that school is because I got into trouble. And um, I think it was just like, you know, having conversation together, like having conversation with one another and I think there was an assignment that uh, she asked us to do where I wrote something where she said, have you ever considered poetry? And I said, um, no, I never even thought of the concept before that. So it was really eye-opening, like a very 
great introduction to poetry because it was almost like cream for the first time. All these things that I was going through, all the things that people are telling me, you know, being in trouble with the police and getting suspended from school, being angry, everyone labeled me. But for the first time, I got to look at this piece of paper and I saw my story on this piece of paper and I felt for the first time, like I was understood. Like for the first time, oh. someone even gave me a chance to see me for me, you know, instead of judging yeah. me and labeling me. What high school did you go to? In Scarborough, I'm guessing, yeah? Yeah, I went to high school in Scarborough. I went to Mother Teresa. Um, Mother Teresa at the time, probably one of the worst worst schools in the province at the time, but also one of the best basketball schools. And that's why I went there for basketball initially. Oh, yeah? Uh, but yeah, went there for, yeah, Mother Teresa was was, uh, was my, my, my high school and changed my whole life. Like, I really wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't go to that high school. Where is that? I'm trying to I'm trying to remember where Mother Teresa is in Scarborough. What's the main intersection? It's in it's in Malvern actually. So it's like east, kind of east east end Malvern. Okay. Um, it's near like Nielsen and Shepherd area in Malvern, not too far from Malvern Mall. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Bas- what position did you play in basketball? I played uh, more shooting guard because uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> shooting with my before even before Steph Curry, I just really loved loved the three point shot. Um, but you know, because of my size, uh, I played point guard. But okay. I like I like shooting guard more 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 often. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nice. Do you remember your first after your teacher spoke with you? Do you remember your first written piece? I do. Yeah. I do. Was <laughs> it was it like a simple every other line rhymes or something like that or what or or did you create your own thing? You know, Kareem, I actually think every line rhymes. Actually, I think it's like every other line rhymes because it was it was just my journey of like being arrested, getting suspended. Um, and just, just reflecting on what was going on. Cause honestly, Kareem, I wasn't a bad kid. Like I wasn't, and I don't think there are such things as bad kids. I just think there's traumatized people or traumatized children. And often what happens is the trauma, if it's not expressed or if it's not dealt with, or if it's not reflected on, then it often turns into people projecting. And I know I was doing that. I was so broken inside of the kid that I was just projecting and hurting other people. So to see my poem for the first time, I think I just saw myself for the very first time after writing that first piece. Wow. What was it like the first time? I'm just curious as a, I don't know, 12, 13 year old kid writing poetry or having your teacher um, bring poetry up to you. Um, You know, I'm just thinking about my son who's turning 16. Um, what he would think of poetry, and, it, and I'm I'm just curious, like what 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 does a young kid think of when they say, "Hey, you should write poetry," or "Have you ever thought of poetry?" Is it like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm just curious, like what goes through your mind. I think what's interesting is based on the education system and what we're taught about poetry. Uh, I often think about Shakespeare, and you know, because that's that's my first introduction to poetry was through Shakespeare, and so. You know, what? A, what's really interesting is our education system often positions poetry through Shakespeare. And I think nothing wrong with Shakespeare, but that was something that happened three, four hundred years ago that isn't as relevant today. Some of it isn't as relevant as it is today. And so, you know, as I've gotten older, I've recognized just growing up in hip hop culture. You know, I think hip hop culture is what really kind of inspired my poetry, because at first it was just about rhyming. It was about how do I find the best rhyme patterns, rhyme schemes at first? And, and just being real and raw and honest with my poetry. So I found that to be the most kind of helpful, you know, helpful way for me to really see myself, you know, um, in my poetry. Do you remember that transition from 
writing to rhyme to writing, uh, I think you said, you know, just writing truth. You remember, was that a transition? Do you, do you recall when that happened? The first time you wrote something raw? Or have you always That's been it. like that? It's, I mean, it's always raw because I, 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 it's always been raw, but I think the first time that I really saw that I could take it further. So when I first wrote that, that poem, I think I maybe wrote a couple other poems and then I just dropped poetry altogether, grade, grade eight, grade nine, grade 10, dropped it. And it wasn't until grade 11, I went on a field trip at U of T and I saw a poet named Buna Muhammad who was performing on stage. And Buna Muhammad was, I just like, honestly, Kareem, the craziest thing is just imagine seeing yourself on stage and just seeing this person. And, and I, I'll never forget, I was like, oh, I'm going to do that one day. Like, it, it was very simple. Like, I just knew, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that one day. And it really inspired me. So I went home and I wrote my first spoken word piece. Like I wrote a spoken word poem, which is a little different than, you know, poetry, because I think spoken word just has more room to play with and more flexibility to play with than poetry. Um, so seeing that, I, I picked it up again at 16 and then I dropped it again. And so it's interesting, you know, they say the third time is a charm. Every three years, poetry said, hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. And then finally at 19, is when I said, okay, I'm going to take this thing seriously. <laughs> what happened at 19? Uh, at 19, I was going through a very spiritual, mm -hmm. kind of a spiritual experience, like really coming into myself. I had just, you know, dealt with death, like a near-death experience. And I think I was just trying to figure out who's Randell. And so as I got into my spiritual practice, I went to this event. And this event just happened to have spoken word performances. And I sat down. And I was like, yo, this is amazing. Uh, I happened to go all the way to Brampton, Mississauga to see it. And I said, how do I bring this back to Scarborough? And so that's what really sparked it. Just seeing poetry live and people gathered, people watching and listening and being inspired. That's when I was like, okay, boom, we got to do something with this. Okay. And like, this is it. Like you're doing, how long have you been doing it straight now? I mean, going on 10 years, you know, oh, 10 wow. years that I've been, I've been involved in poetry, doing poetry from workshops to performances, to organizing events, yeah. uh, starting my own not-for-profit organization. Like a lot of that is really based on, uh, yeah, a lot of it is really based on what I saw when I was 19, that third, that third time. RISE is your nonprofit, is that correct? Exactly, right. RISE Arts and Community Services or RISE Edutainment. Uh, it's a social enterprise that I have. Yeah. When, when did you start that off? So April 16th of 2012, which is almost 10 years, 10 years ago in, in two months is when I first started. Uh, we first kicked it off uh, just really as a, as a, just a safe space, you know, a platform that we could all express ourselves. Um, I just found in Scarborough, we didn't have anything, you know, like nothing that you can go to, to talk about what you're going through within the community. So we just started off as a safe space and then it grew into, you know, developing talent, developing artists. And then we found a way to kind of build a booking creative agency to support artists to get employed and get paid. And that's a social enterprise. So we get artists opportunities to get paid through the creative agency. And then we have an incubator, which is a not-for-profit that develops the talent. So they kind of figure eight feeds into each other. That's cool. And this is a Scarborough-based organization? Scarborough-based organization. Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. I thought I had heard of, of, of this name. Maybe there's a something that's very similar that's out there. Like that's... I don't know, more like Toronto based down and down in the center of Toronto, what what they call the East end of Toronto, but is it Scarborough? You know, that, that whole, uh, that, like that area. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that's interesting. I want to, I want to, I want to talk about that, but I, I want to sort of, I want to get, t tell me, you, you talked about uh, spoken word and the differences of poetry. I've had a, a couple of um, poets uh, on the show. Um, and I don't know if I've ever asked this question. What's the difference? I think you explained a little bit, but I wonder if you can go deeper in, ter in terms of um, the difference between poetry and spoken word. Yeah, I think it's a very, very slight difference, you know? Um, for me, poetry is, is often just the written piece of it. And it can be performed, of course, you know, this, this part of it can be performed, it can be shared. I guess I often see it as like spoken word just has more room, you know, you just have more room, more opportunity to play with it. It's more theatrical in the writing, it's more theatrical in like how you create. I just think it has more room, you know, and then the origins of spoken word were really created in Chicago, you know, Chicago, the origins of it were really like jazz, hip hop influenced, like influenced by jazz and hip hop. And it was just, you know, it didn't have to have a, a, a rhyme pattern, didn't have to have a, any scheme. But poetry often sits within the realm of like rhythm and cadence and, 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 and rhyme schemes, where spoken word doesn't necessarily have to. It's more based on like cadence, but it can and does have some of it. But there's, there's so much more you can kind of do with it. That's really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. you, you talked a little bit about your teacher, who's now one of your mentors. And I don't want to sort of skip that whole, uh, that, that whole entirety. Um, and then I'm sure, you know, you've spoken about it many, many times, but, you know, you talked about being uh, a kid that was in trouble. Um, and I read somewhere that you ended up graduating as a valid valedictorian. Um, that's like a mind shift. Right. It's not it's not something that you were an you were a great student and all of a sudden you become awesome. Um, you know, there's it, it seems to me that there was a mind shift from someone who. Yeah, you tell you tell me, like, what was that? Like what besides the teacher, was that teacher more instrumental than just saying, hey, have you ever thought of poetry? And I think you've got great things in you. Like what what did you do yourself to change maybe the trajectory that you were on? I think, Kareem, I've always been a leader or always had leadership capacity. So I had a teacher in grade five who would always ask me, Wendell, are you going to be a leader or are you going to be a follower? Every day, <laughs> every day. And I still talk to him to this day too. Yeah. And did, they tell you me, the, did they tell you what a leader is and what a follower is? Or He, he did. He kind of broke yeah. it down. Um, his name was Mr. Fry. And he... <laughs> Actually, I just remember what he did. He broke it down to me and he explained what a leader was and he explained what a follower was. And for me, he was kind of trying to get me to understand that a leader is someone who, you know, has a vision, someone who follows their own path. And I was following some of the guys, you know, in the community. And, you know, the grade eight teacher, I'd say what she did for me, she really gave me an opportunity to see myself. Because again, when you're a troubled student, all the teachers write you off. Um, I've heard teachers say things to me like, you're the worst student I've ever had in 31 years of teaching. I've had teachers, you know, just speak ill will to me, like uh, just, and I, I, I'm not saying I was perfect, but I don't think those are things you say to a child if you want them to improve and be better, you know? Um, so ultimately, you know, I think and reflect back and the shift in mindset really came from when I got to high school because I'd already gotten in trouble, you know, with, with the police at a younger age. 
So by the time I got to high school, my mindset was different. That grade eight year was a very transformative year for me. And if anything, the mind shift just really came, came down to, I want to be more, like, I just want to be more than, you know, the guys in the hood. Cause I, I also had the opportunity to move. And I left, I left the neighborhood I was living in. I was living in a troubled neighborhood at first. So when I moved, I was being surrounded with different people. I was seeing different things. I was learning different things. And, you know, from the very beginning, Mother Teresa has always had a focus on leadership. So they take us to things like leadership camp and, um, I, now it's not the greatest thing to say, but, you know, me to eat conferences we go to and things, things of that nature. So I was just exposed to other leaders. And then I had another teacher in grade, grade, grade 10, uh, Miss Noah, who just got me involved in advocacy. She got me involved. So we'd like go downtown and hand out sandwiches to some of the houseless people downtown or just do like things for the community, things for the school community, uh, fundraising. And then eventually I got involved in uh, like after school programs. And then I got involved in, uh, so I got kicked off the team, not even kicked off the team. I didn't make the team in grade 11. Uh, they're, you know, guys were taller, they were stronger, faster, whatever. It, it is what it is. I was just really good at shooting, but they had that already. So I got, I didn't make the team in grade 11. And that's when I had a breaking point because at that point I said, well, if I'm not playing basketball, then who am I? You know, because that's all I went to the school for to play basketball. And because basketball had me thinking about who I could be. I just really wanted to get a scholarship. I just wanted a free education. That's really my focus. And I think basketball set me on, on a trajectory to realize that I can sh kind of shoot for the stars. Pun in, okay, now I'd say pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, gave me an opportunity to shoot for the stars. So that's when I had to pivot and realize that I could do something different, that I could get involved in like school programming, uh, student council. Uh, I could host events at school, like kind of things like that. So the mindset the mind shift was seeing myself as a leader and then having teachers and mentors around to see that kind of come into fruition. Nice. And can I add something, Kareem? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Last thing. Last thing. In grade 12 was probably one of the most transformative years. Okay. Grade eight was transformative, but 12 was more transformative. I went to India and then I went to Las Vegas and then I went to Orlando. So this was within the span of a year. I'd went to Orlando uh, for something called the National Society of Black Engineers. And I saw people for the first time that looked like me that were successful for the first time at 16 years old. That was one. Two, um, going to India, I learned about happiness. And I think India at 17 years old, coming from the neighborhood that I, I came from, India just like, we went there to volunteer, but just seeing what I had here in Canada and seeing uh, some of the difficulties that folks were dealing with in India, and then also just the love and the happiness in India. I, I never came back the same after that. Not to mention a, a week after India, I was in Las Vegas. So you can imagine like five days after India, I'm in Vegas. You can, two totally different spectrums, you know? So it was really, really eye-opening at 17 to see the world in a different light. Was uh, the India trip through your high school? Both were through my high school, actually. So that's, so that's what I'm saying about my high school. Like, my school is doing great things for us. If you got involved, there was great opportunities for you to do wow. more. That mm -hmm. was the India and Las Vegas, or yeah, India and Las Vegas. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Orlando, the engineering conference. Is this something that you thought you wanted to do, or you know, not necessarily. I think, um, I think you know, I just wanted to get involved. So the only like black student initiative we had at school was the National Society of Black Engineers. Uh, and although it was geared to engineering, it was more focused on getting us into university. 
and like focusing on, you know, um, doing more essentially than just being like neighborhood kids. So Orlando and, and the Las Vegas trips were just two, a year apart, but they're the same thing. So it was both for a national conference, um, the National Society of Black Engineers. Um, so that was a conference itself. And that's why I ended up going to Orlando and to, uh, to Las Vegas. Okay. How did you, how did you end up being, um, like being involved in, in, in some of these clubs and, and organizations at school? Was that just being at Mother Teresa? Like it was almost like every student had to belong and be participating somewhere? I mean, ultimately it's, it's, it's me. It's, it was a teacher's man. I, I gotta say it's a teacher's like the teachers, they would encourage me to get involved in certain things. And for me, I was just really open, you know, I was really open to getting involved. And because the opportunities were there, I didn't want to leave. And honestly, like being in grade 10, grade 11, like there's opportunities to get out of school. I was like, okay, cool. Like I can go <laughs> to school <laughs> and get, and get free lunch and you know, not have to pay for anything, of course I'll do that, you know? So that was one thing that really, that's what got me there. And I think what got me through was the teachers that found, oh, I got this leadership opportunity. Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing that. Oh, we're doing this. And I just became like the, you know, the staple person. And um, I, I even got like the school spirit award because of all the opportunities. I just got involved in everything. And I just wanted to just do something, you know, I don't know. Like, I just wanted to make my mom proud at some point. Yeah. She must be proud now. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, more than ever. You know, she uh, <laughs> every now and then she's like, I saw you on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice. nice. You know, it's really nice. Oh, that's sweet. Um, what what was happening with you or what 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 transpired? What was the impetus to create Rise? Uh, the impetus to create Rise really came from a near-death experience. So it was, uh, you know, almost losing my life in a stabbing incident um, where my friends wanted to retaliate. My friends wanted to basically, you know, violence was inflicted upon me and my friends wanted to use violence to inflict upon the guys who did what they did to me. So the reality was I realized that these two, like my friends and uh, the guys who did what they did to me were not very different. The only difference is I knew my friends to be people who are going through some real extreme tumultuous situations. And because I knew of that, that's why I said, okay, well, I think we just need a space. I talked to different people. I asked different people, hey, what do you think we could do? And the one thing I, I kept hearing was, yo, we just like, just want somewhere I can like be, like I can be around my friends and connect and build. And I want to say that's the one thing that really uh, propelled me to want to do something more. It was almost, yeah, almost dying. Like, I think the funny thing about life is that, you know, death helps us appreciate life a little bit more. <laughs> so uh, that's what really got me, got me going, got me excited. And poetry, just like what poetry did for me, I thought, man, if that grade eight teacher can do that for me, I wonder if I can do the same for other youth in, in Scarborough. Yeah. So when you hear, um, I think it was this past week, there was a kid that was stabbed. In a, in a Scarborough school, um, what goes through your mind? Do you get flashbacks of, of what happened to you? I'm curious if, they, if, if the system reaches out to you or you reach out to them. I'm curious, you know, what's, what's going on with that? Yeah, so the school is actually walking distance from where I live, unfortunately. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, so I could I could walk to the into the place of the incident. Um, when things like that happen, you know, I do a lot of work with the TDSB. I'm involved with the TDSB quite a bit. And uh, you know, if I ever if there's ever an opportunity to go in and speak, I'm always happy to. But it it doesn't, you know, I think what's tough though, Cream, is whenever we do hear news about Scarborough, it's often negative. Um, you know, when a shooting happens, it's like, yeah, in, in Scarborough, you know. So just I'll tell you an example. When I saw the shooting that happened in Scarborough, uh, just after that, they talked about another shooting in North York, but they just said North York. They didn't say anywhere specific in North York, they just said North York. But there's this negative connotation about Scarborough that just kind of plasters it as a as a bad place. Don't get me wrong, things happen, you know, but when I hear things like that about Scarborough, it it, it reminds me that's not the big picture. That's not the, the the whole picture of what Scarborough is. But it also saddens me that it's happening at all because this is a 14 and an 18-year-old kid, you know, an 18-year-old kid who lost their life and a 14-year-old kid who, sh- who shot. So I feel responsible. I feel like maybe there's more I can do. Maybe there's a way that I can get involved um, in a more intimate way, essentially. And so it's it's heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. It's really heartbreaking because I know great people that work in the system that just feel like, man, if if I'm going to help these kids and then they're going to get shot or think that shooting somebody is okay, I know it's really hard for the teachers and the educators in the system too. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough, man. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, when you when you were um, chosen to be your high school valedictorian, um, what's going through your head at that time? Is it is it something you were striving towards or was it like, was there flashbacks to like grade eight, grade nine, grade 10? Uh, man, I, I guess the first thing that came to mind was, I don't think I can do it. That's what I thought. And then I had a teacher that said, have you, hey, we're selecting the valedictorian. Have you thought about applying? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not really thinking about it. But another teacher came and said, okay, and then a third teacher said, no, you're applying. I don't, I don't care. Like, you're going to apply. And his name happened to be Mr. Destiny. <laughs> oh, my and goodness. He, of course it is. Yeah, right? Like, Mr. Destiny. He even continued to mentor me after high school. Um, but I love that guy. Like, Mr. Destiny is the one that advocated for me. He helped me with my speech and all of that. Uh, so I didn't really think it was possible for me. But the, the most memorable moment, I would say, was perhaps standing on stage and seeing my mom in the audience and my mom's kind of tearing and you know just to make my mom proud in that moment was really really gratifying because I know all that she had to go through you know to see me get to that place Um, my mom's a person who you know she worked in a graveyard at a graveyard shift uh, from 12 to 8 a.m in a factory standing having arthritis in both of her knees and a little bit overweight so I knew that I put a lot of pressure on my mom and a lot of hardship and a lot of stress on my mom so when I was standing on that stage, it was really great to be able to understand that my mom, uh, like, I just wanted her to see like her work didn't go in vain. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So let's get to Rise. Um, you started as an organization, uh, you know, mentorship, helping people, and then giving them opportunities as well, working with um, brands and organizations. And I, I came across... I guess something that you're doing now, I guess, with uh, with Holt Renfrew. Um, so talk to me about that, because that's like that's. A, could we call that a client of Rises or is that is that how you properly? Yeah. So t- tell me about that. How did that come about? And tell me about some of the stuff that you're doing with them. 
Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when I was first appointed, Hope Renfrew brought me on to do something called the Literati campaign. And it was about like uh, authors in across Canada um, who were also kind of fashionable. So they selected three of us to be involved. And uh, we maintained the relationship over the over time. We stayed in touch with one another. And I guess ultimately, you know, they reached out because they wanted they they wanted to collaborate with Rise and to see if we can do something more, uh, which I thought was great. So, you know, it's, it's more of a partnership. I think because the way we work together is more of a partnership. Sure, you can consider them a client, but I just think it's like a partnership because of the way they showed up. You know, they showed up in ways that I I was really happy to join to join and support. And again, because the the um, the social enterprise is really designed to get artist opportunities. I was a- also able to bring artists on to get that opportunity to get, you know, on a, on a larger platform, on a larger stage to really be able to, you know, showcase their talent as well. But the campaign is what I like. A lot of people don't really know, but they, of course, supported, uh, like, you know, paid us as, as artists to create. They brought on um, Black folks behind the scene because I don't know if you know, but a lot of times in media, it's a lot of folks that don't look like you or, not, you or I um, behind the camera. But they were able to get a director that was black, a, a director, uh, a director of photography that was a director of photography that was black, uh, a photographer, uh, the hairstylist. Like we were able to bring a cast of people that were black to do this Black History Month campaign. They also donated some money to the not-for-profit for us to continue doing the work that we're doing. Uh, and then they highlighted 20, 20 black organizations across Canada, and they highlighted their fun- their founders as well too. So I thought this was a great campaign for hope because our great partnership with hope because um it served many purposes and the way they approached it was not so it wasn't performative it wasn't say hey we want to do this thing with you to make us look good like they really care like uh, who i was working with they really care and they want to change the way people see hope they're new to the company but they want to change the way people see hope and uh you know just a great campaign you know really good good campaign to work with them i mean hope has their history but it's just good to see that they're moving towards, um, like they're they're really doing the work, and I like to see that. That's amazing. Can you tell me about some of your uh, other projects that you've done? Um, you know, through yeah. Rise, other organizations, other initiatives. Uh, I mean, man, there's so much to say. Through Rise, we've had the opportunity to work with the City of Toronto to create the Toronto Youth Equity Strategy. We partnered with them, and this is a strategy that was created in terms of how to support youth over the next 10 years that happened in 2015. We, through RISE, have done an exchange where we've been able to bring artists from London, um, London, England, to come. And we also went over there and did a bit of an exchange. We're still friends to this day. Uh, Through RISE, I've been able to do programs in Ghana. Uh, Through RISE, I've traveled to Mexico. We've done a film um, with the Art Gallery of York University called RISE. And we had two filmmakers from Brazil come in and they stayed here for about eight months. We created a film that was a part of Nuit Blanche and Toronto Biennial of Art. Um, I got to travel to Mexico to speak for the premiere of it. That film has also won an award. Through Rise, we've partnered with Nuit Blanche and we've done, uh, we created a film about Scarborough called Within. And I've done a lot. <laughs> um, uh, but that's, you know, that's just some of it, but also like, I'm really, I'm, what I'm really proud of through RISE and I don't, I take no credit. I, I want to say RISE and I don't take any credit for this, but, you know, I look at artists like Lou, like Lou Calla, who would come to our open mics weekly, come to our, our, our workshops weekly, you know, to, to learn and to grow and to be better. 
And then people like Toby, like Toby, who's growing. Toby came to our events to perform, to kind of get connected to the community. His his producer, his like his DJ, um, is is a rise is someone that he met at through Rise. Um, so there's so many people that have come through Rise. JP Sachs, Looney, like there's some really incredible people who are doing some really good work uh, on a musical end. And I think I'm just most proud of that. But honestly, Cream, I'll tell you the one thing I'm most proud of with Rise is the friendships and the relationships that have been created. There's people who are friends to this day, 10 years later after meeting. Uh, there's babies that have been born. People have gotten married after meeting at Rise. Um, people have gotten engaged. Like, you know what I mean? I, people started businesses. So it's just great to be able to create a platform for people to connect and build a community and you see what, what how that benefits people ultimately. I, I know the past couple of years has been different, but I'm curious, you know, you said you're based in Scarborough. Um, was did you guys have like a an actual place or was it more of renting community centers or halls or or whatnot? Uh, it was definitely the latter. You know, we would have community centers that we'd rent. We had a long-standing, a long like a long-term partnership in the city that we did something at Burroughs Hall for about seven years before the pandemic hit. Unfortunately, we did one event in 2020 and then the next week pandemic and we were done. Um, so, you know, that's pretty much how we've done it. But then we've also expanded outside of Scarborough and we've uh, done events downtown, many events downtown, actually. We had a, a monthly event happening downtown uh, at a different book list at 918 Bathurst. We've done stuff at Daniel Spectrum. We've done stuff many, many places, you know, just different partnership opportunities. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is just having a good team, having people around that see the vision and want to see it come to light. And, um, you know, it's exciting. It's really exciting to be able to, to do the work we do. And it's shifted throughout the pandemic. So now, for the last two years, what we've been doing is doing it virtual. So we were once on IG, on Instagram. We moved to Zoom. Uh, but what's been good, in a way, about that is just other people that have come to perform from, like, Ohio, from uh LA from California from Florida we've had people from um I think it was I think not Arkansas um Arizona like just different people from different parts of uh of the country Great London Ghana like people you know people who probably obviously would not have come on a Monday night in downtown or, or sorry in Scarborough but were able to come regardless you know nice so things haven't slowed down just because we all sort of started hibernating I mean, they have, but they haven't, you know, they slow down because being in person, it's like, you know, this, this fast paced energy of being around people, but they slow down because they're more like online now, but, um, and they slow down because we would have been doing like bigger concerts, festivals, uh, had we been in person. So yeah, we slowed down, but we didn't stop. I think what we loved is we didn't stop. We just like, you know, word of the year pivoted. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, Indeed. I really love this, uh, is it the Scarborough Health Network Foundation? Uh, that campaign that's going on. Um, how did you How did you get involved with that? So, you know, my mom's been in the hospital. She's had three surgeries uh, on her knees. Um, my, my nieces, my nephews, my godchildren were born in Scarborough hospitals. People I care about would be, would be used in Scarborough hospitals. So they first came to me with a campaign. Um, and I guess between you and I, like, well, not between you and I and the listeners, if you're listening, um, 
they they actually wanted to get the weekend to be the voice of of the campaign, and uh, it, you know it didn't it didn't translate it didn't work out that way with the weekend. So when they reached out to me, I mean, yeah, I was honored. I was like, me replacing the weekend for sure. I I would love to, you know. Um, and and it wasn't even about the clout. It wasn't about the clout. I think it was more so thinking about why the Scarborough hospitals, three Scarborough hospitals only get 1% of the funding across the city. How is that even possible? You know? So they broke down the numbers and it was almost like, I couldn't say no to, to that. I, I could not do it, you know? So the way this works is it's a hundred million dollar campaign for three hospitals because the hospitals in Scarborough receive, you know, such little funding. And one thing I learned about hospital funding for those of you who are listening is that the way hospital funding works is donors like you and I have an opportunity to donate. Let's say you donate a thousand dollars, the thousand dollars that you donate, the government will match with the other half. So you donate a thousand, the government match and donate another thousand dollars. So that's how hospital funding typically works. So it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate because, um, you know, we're not getting enough donations here in Scarborough, but also uh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, the province, the city can't support in, in, in seeing the discrepancy, like in terms of if St. Michael's is making $200 million a year, but Scarborough's only making like $100,000, how does that equate? You know, how does that equate? How does that make sense? So um, that's really how the campaign has, has, has run. It's still running. It's still going to this day. And our goal is really to raise awareness that more people know the, um, the discrepancy, the the imbalance of funding uh, for hospitals here in Scarborough. All right. Uh, yeah, I just picked up one of those hoodies. Ah, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I went on and, and purchased that. So that'll be, that is what I'm waiting for to wear. Amazing. Hopefully I get it while it's still cool. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Otherwise, next this time next year, I might have gained a few pounds and it might not. Be. Hopefully anyway. not too much. Yeah. What's what's been your favorite on stage performance or, or one that you remember fondly? Man. Man, I gotta go into the crevices of my neurons right now until you can find that out. Um uh, one of my favorites was probably with Dwayne Morgan. Uh I got to perform with Dwayne Morgan for uh, so, so myself, myself, Dwayne Morgan, and someone named Thunderclaw Robinson, each of us, because we're all three different generations, um, we all came to the approach of what would it be like to have more, more people that look like us so we could see what success looked like. And so it was for the Economic Club of Canada. They brought Barack Obama here in, in two, two years ago, and we got to open for Barack Obama. So I think that was my favorite, you know, my favorite performance. Uh, opening for Barack Obama, 5,000 people, 10,000 eyeballs looking at us. And we were flawless. Like we were, we knocked it out the park to this day. People are still talking about it. And it wasn't the performance, but I think it was like the poem. The poem itself was really powerful. Uh, all three of us came with a really, you know, amazing uh, vision for the poem. And I'd say that's my favorite stage performance. And I remember Kareem, like there's one moment where I almost made a mistake. And if I made a mistake, it would have threw the whole thing off. We'd have to start all over again. So I was so proud of myself because my mind went blank, but like muscle memory. It was almost like muscle memory said, nope, we're not forgetting in front of these people, you know? 
And of course, nobody knew, no one knew, uh, but you know, the nerves, the nerves kind of got to me for a, a slight second. Sure. That is awesome. That's mm-hmm. really, really good. Do you remember your first? Yeah, my first performance. <laughs> Uh, we had a talent show at school um, in grade 11. I decided to do a poem that wasn't my own. Um, I did. I tried to memorize it and I failed at memorizing it uh, on stage. I also happened to be the host, so I had to come back on stage afterwards and say, hey, you know, enjoy the rest of the performances, even though mine wasn't the greatest. And I'm, I'm a bit critical of my performances, but yeah, I made a big mistake. Um, I read a really great poem that I loved, but I, I just couldn't remember the words. Um, had a bit of stage fright being on stage for the first time with, you know, like four or 500 of my fellow classmates, students looking at me. Um, and that was my first like first performance performance that I would say. But I'm just proud of the younger me that he even went, you know, without feeling so confident. I still went on stage and I at least tried. At least I did was try. Nice. Awesome. Uh, I got some Scarborough questions. Hi. To ask you. Sure. Um, your favorite neighborhood in Scarborough? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, favorite because of your, <laughs> you, you get to define that. My favorite neighborhood would probably be Markham and Ellesmere. I lived there for twelve years. Uh, you know, there's a park. There's good food. It's close to the highway. It's very accessible via transit. Um, Scarborough Townsend is right there. Uh, U of T is right there. So that's my favorite just because of location. But my favorite, my favorite because of like experience would probably be, um, it, it's, it's called, it's a place called Sylvan Park. Uh, the park is called Sylvan. It's like an extension of the bluffs. It's a little bit east of the bluffs and it's just a beautiful place to, to be. Uh, I love, like, really, really, really love being there because of its calmness. It's serene. Once you walk and you see the water, you see the the lake, it's almost like you're not in Canada. Like, it just has a very beautiful viewpoint. So I'd say, you know, in terms of location, Markham and Ellesmere, in terms of, like, views and, and experience, I'd say um, it's kind of the end of Scarborough Golf Club and Kingston. Got to go to the end of Scarborough Golf Club. Uh, Did you so film something there? I did actually is with that complex I... with complex Canada. Yeah, I did. I thought, I did. Yeah, okay, okay. I mean, that's maybe me because as soon as you said bluffs and favorite, I think I think I saw something with you and. Okay. That's it. That's right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, okay, so your favorite park. Oh man. <laughs> uh, if it's not Bluffers Park, I probably would say Port Union. I really like Port Union. It's okay. really, really nice. That's right uh, at the Thompson border, Park, right? Right at the border. Right at the border. Yeah. 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 Right at the border. Uh, Port Union's nice. It's really, really nice. Uh, you can walk for like a little while before you get to Pickering. But Thompson Park's nice because like Thompson Park is the barbecue. It's like the picnic, like the summer picnics for families. That's where you go, you know? So I like it because you end up seeing people you haven't seen in a while. Um, and it's just nice to see families there. And I walk in the summertime. I walk. I usually walk there in the summertime in the mornings. Okay, nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting park, and very. and sort of where it empties off by the hospital on the east southeast side. Yep. And it's got the dog parks, and I remember there's um, they usually have like a barbecue fest. 
Ribfest. Ribfest. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man, every there. year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's uh it's a yeah, it's a nice park. It's a nice park. I don't think it gets the love that it that it deserves. It's also got like a, a little small museum there, I think, in Old Home or whatever, right? Yeah, Scarborough Museum. That's yeah, where it is. That's right, yeah, that's man. right. Um favorite restaurant. Oh, you gotta do me like that. <laughs> you okay so you can pick a few because i know there's different varieties and different types right so you know if you've sure. got a favorite haka place or a whatever okay you know, that you makes to, it easy okay. you get to choose <laughs> so favorite haka place i'd say china cottage my favorite haka place frederick's is amazing too but china cottage oh you know about china cottage okay uh which china cottage Ellesmere? no i like steels i like steels. oh my goodness yeah. if you ever come See, because I'll tell now you know where I live. If you ever come to China Cottage on Ellesmere, mm -hmm. let me know ahead of time. I will. I'll ring you. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you, you ring know. me. You let me know. I like that one too. I think recently, I, I think the first time I went there, I wasn't as impressed as the other location. But re the last time I went, they they actually have some really good stuff recently. I like really enjoy what they had recently. What's your favorite dish from there? Um, Man, they've got this like uh really i mean I, I like i like anything haka like their haka noodles are really nice yeah. they've got this um spice and pepper tofu i really like like just oh. crispy and crunchy are um, you vegetarian yeah i'm vegetarian but okay. before i was vegetarian like they'd had they had they had uh like uh what's it called like sweet and sour fish that was really really nice did you ever um, have the haka fish oh man so good so good <laughs> <laughs> so good yeah but i've had that before so good like so yeah, good yeah. that and the garlic fish is pretty good too but i mean like just about anything anything with the fish that they made i i think i had almost all yeah at one point i've had all the fish that they had and and never complained about one of them yeah the owner um, literally walks by my house every morning oh really yeah it's it's, it's <laughs> funny to see him <laughs> it's a small world man small it world is. Um, it is yeah, yeah, I love Scarborough for that. But I'd say next in terms of Thai food, like the best pad Thai would be Jack to Jack. Jack to Jack, in my opinion, has the best pad Thai. Um, uh, Malaysian food, I really like um, uh, Taiwanan or Thai in the Rock. They got some really good Malaysian food over there. Uh, vegetarian food, I'd say uh, Itol Vital, my favorite veg vegetarian food. And... Yeah, I'd say that's 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 about it. Oh, Johnny Shawarma. They got a really, really good shawarma or really good falafel. Johnny Shawarma's at Kennedy and Ellesmere. I drove by that. Yeah, I drove by Kennedy that. Kennedy and Ellesmere. Yeah. Kennedy That's not too far from you. It's it's just, it, it's like, so yeah, if yeah. you're going on the highway on Kennedy, it, you're getting, you're heading to um towards the highway. It's just before you get to like where the metro is. Yes, I've seen that. I don't know when, where I was driving, but I remember... Seeing that, because as soon as I saw that, oh, I wonder if that's Johnny Berger's cousin or something like that. <laughs> um, favorite, I don't know, do you have a favorite, Scarborough's known for strip plazas. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite plaza or favorite mall? Uh, man, I mean, that's a tough one too, man. Uh, the one I grew up around the most was Cedar Break. Like Cedar Bray was the one I grew up around most. Uh, so I'd say Cedar Bray. 
because I frequented it. And, you know, it's not the best. I'm not going to lie. Cerebrae is not the best when it comes to finding things. But they do have a couple of hidden gems. Um, but, yeah, I think I'd say Cerebrae just because I'm more familiar with it. Uh, yeah, I'm more familiar with it. I mean, across the street. I'm forgetting the name. The one at VP and I was married was Parkway. Parkway Mall. Yeah, Parkway Mall. Like, I've had some good experiences at Parkway in the past, but, you know, they, they have upgraded, though. Parkway has upgraded. So I haven't been to it now that it's been upgraded, but uh, I do remember in the past they had a couple hidden gems. Randall, so I live, like, down the street okay. from Parkway Mall. So so China mm-hmm. Cottage is, is in between the mall and me. Okay. Um, so I'm at my parents' place. They live on Bridletown Circle. Mm-hmm. So I'm at my parents' place, and my mom has all these albums, and I'm going through them. And legit found a picture of my mom me when i was two three years old sitting on my dad's yellow datsun in the parking lot (laughs) and in the back is that iconic arch of parkway mall ah i remember that i remember that i remember that right uh where it's metro now but i can't remember what it was i think the picture's a little bit too blurry for me to Mm -hmm. make up with the name of the places but uh yeah, that place has been there forever. Ever. Yeah, long yeah. time. Long time. Long time. When you mentioned Cedar Break, I remember um, Cedar Break, the library across the street. Is that Cedar Break Library? That's across the That's street? It. That's, That's it. That's a great yeah. library. Amazing library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you were ever a library guy, but do you have a favorite library? Uh, it's funny. It, it would probably be Cedarbrae. (laughs) I spent most of my, I spent a lot of time, whether I was studying or just looking for books or printing or, you know, uh, printing resumes, um, spent a lot of time, a lot of time at Cedarbrae Library. Nice, man. Right now, man, this has been fun. I've had, I've had some fun chatting with you. I really appreciate it. Likewise, man. I I really like your hosting style. Just very calm, (laughs) easygoing, you know? Because um, you got me, like, I think the way you, you were asking questions just really got me feeling very comfortable to, like, open up. Um, and it's not, not to say I was closed off or anything sure. like that. That's not what I'm saying. But I think, uh, yeah, just just appreciate appreciate the way you host. Appreciate thank the you. way you make you make the, the, the guests feel comfortable. So thank oh, you. Thank you for sharing. Um, anything that you wanted to chat about that maybe we didn't talk about yet? I guess the only thing I'd say is just as I'm talking about Scarborough, so, you know, we talked about malls, but right now Scarborough Town Center, myself, Dwayne Morgan, and Paulino O'Keefe, we are the uh, the the curators for uh, the inaugural year of public art, the City of Toronto's year of public art. And so we've been curating and um, contracting artists uh, to, you know, come and share their art. So right now we have a couple of installations called Scarborough Heroes. One of the Scarborough heroes is uh, Dwayne Morgan and myself, in addition to like Cardinal Fischel and Deborah Cox and a number of different individuals. Um, that was done by Joseph Bonsu. And then we have uh, Scarborough Chic that's also there, done by a good friend of mine, brother of mine, Anthony Gabriel Hewitt. And uh, he took the photography for it. Amazing, amazing exhibit. Uh, it's still there to this day. And then we have Scarborough Slang. And so if you want to learn a little bit more, Scar- a little bit more about Scarborough Slang, there's actually a kiosk that you can click videos and learn about Scarborough slang and learn about the, the I guess, the, uh, the etymology of Scarborough slang, the connotations of Scarborough slang as well. And I love it for that very reason. But I, if you're 
at Scarborough Town Center, please go check out these, these next installations. One is at Bay Court. Another one is just beside the, uh, the Bath and Body Works. And then the other one is near the Shopper's Court. So check it out. I think you'll really appreciate it. I've, I've seen some of those uh, superheroes. Yes. Uh, amazing. Just really, really fun. Um, I did not know that there was Scarborough slang. I, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to check this out. It's uh, it's a little hidden. Um, okay. So when you walk into the mall, let's just imagine uh, Muji. So Muji, you know Muji. I don't know where it is though. If Did I'm at if the... I'm at the um, if I'm at the top level, yeah, near Bath and Body Works. There's also like yep. a yeah. So Bath and Mark Body Lake. Works and Lululemon around that area. In that it in that area. So. Uh, let's say you are at Bath and Body Works. If you're at Bath and Body Works, you're going to walk back towards uh, where the Samsung kiosk is, yeah. towards where the TTC entrance is. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you're going to be walking on that left that left um, lane. You'll see uh, kind of like a wall that has a picture of myself, Dwayne, and Paulina. And so if you slide, like there's, a, there's an attendees that are there. You have to go during the day, I believe between 10 and 5, 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Um, there are times like the times will be displayed, if anything, as well. And so it's it's called 226. And that's where slang is inside of there. So you can have more of like a like an intimate experience with the installation. Uh, OK, maybe that's something to do. Family Day Monday. That might be fun. I think hey. that'd be really fun, man. We'll go check it out. Uh, Randell, if people want to find out more about what you are up to, what what uh, events uh, are going on with Rise, uh, where where's the best place for them? So I'm I'm more frequent on Instagram, uh, so you can follow me at Randell J on Instagram for the organization Rise. It's, it's Rise underscore so Rise underscore EDT. So R I S E underscore EDT. You can also find me at randellaj.com or riseedutainment.com. Um, and to find out more about the Poet Laureate, you can find it at ontariopoet.org. Awesome. Randell, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it, Kareem.